Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Psalm 90 in your Bible. We uh, had a little experience at home this afternoon that... um, well, it was unexpected. Um, I uh, got up from my nap at 5 o'clock, and I ran back to the guest room to get my Bible and my tablet and, and everything that I needed. And um, I got, I walked into the guest room, and I stopped, and I'm like, that noise doesn't sound right. So I turn around and look in the hallway, and I'm like, oh, no, there's a mouse in our vent, isn't there? Because it sounds like a rattling noise, and I'm like, oh, boy, why do I got to deal with this? And I'm like, wait a second. No, that's not... That's not the vent. And I walk a little closer, and I'm like, that's the doorknob. And I turn the door to Haddon's nursery and open it, and he's standing there looking at me. We have these boxes next to his crib. He had climbed out after his nap and walked to the door. So we're going to move those boxes when we get home tonight so that that doesn't happen again. Um, (laughs) Psalm 90. Um, I've been your pastor for three and a half years. That technically means I've beat the national average of three years. Um, In the three and a half years I've been here, there's been several lessons I've learned. Um, I've made several mistakes along the way, and I've grown from those. But one of the lessons I've learned that has never left me is this. I'm going to die someday. I think about that a lot. You learn that pretty quickly when you preach a lot of funerals. Um, Compared to a lot of my friends in ministry, I've preached the most funerals. Um, I've given advice to pastor friends of mine who have been pastoring five years longer than me on how to preach a funeral because they don't do it as much. Um, They've barely done it. Um, A lot of my friends do a lot of weddings. I've never done a wedding. They do very few funerals, and I do a lot of funerals. Um, When you think on funerals, you you realize someday they're going to bury you. When when you go to a lot of funerals, that that should come to your mind, that someday they're going to bury you. Um, someday Haddon is going to stand and give a eulogy for me. So someday a preacher who maybe even isn't born yet is going to preach the gospel at my funeral. Someday they're going to lower my body into the ground and put dirt on top of it. That really affects you psychologically. Um, there are days when I leave the house thinking, I really hope I come home this afternoon and get to see Adrian and Haddon again. It's like a curse that, that, I'm, that I'm always thinking about that. But actually, there's also a lot of blessing in that curse, because there's no guarantee that I'm going to live out to my 80s and die of some disease with all my loved ones around my bedside. It's definitely possible I could die at age 43 from a car accident or an early cancer diagnosis or a stray bullet that just happens to fly through the wall of my house and hit me. Death is no respecter of age or life stage. Now, that's very grim, isn't it? That's the message of Psalm 90 tonight. So we're going to read Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. 
Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of, the, of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to, the, to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I was... Uh, Standing at the bedside of one of our church members as they were dying, I, I can't remember who it was, um, but I, I usually read scripture over a dying person if I happen to be there at the moment. And um, as I was standing there, I felt the Lord prompt, prompting me to read Psalm 91, you know, the next one after this one. And um, in that moment, I got confused thinking the message of Psalm 91 was what is in Psalm 90. And so I pulled out my Bible and I began to read Psalm 90. And um, if you paid attention to what I just read, I got to about verse 8 or 9, and I started thinking, this is not the psalm I meant to read, um, because we've been brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we're dismayed, you, have, you, um, you pass us away under your wrath, just, just kind of became a little awkward as I'm reading it, but I'm like, I got to keep going at this point, because I've started it, um, and I, I meant to read Psalm 91, which is a lot more encouraging of a psalm. Um, Notice the subscription, that's the little, that's the, the, the lowercase print at the beginning of the psalm before the actual psalm starts. It's a prayer of Moses. Most of the psalms are written by David. Um, a few of them are written by other people. Um, Moses is the author of two of them, 90 and 91. Um, he um, wrote these two, and so it's important to know that this is Moses because it helps you understand what he's saying here. Because this psalm is about generations. Um, you've been our dwelling place in all generations, verse 1. Um, remember that. In the Bible, a generation is 40 years. That, that's what's classified as a generation. It's 40 years. And Moses lived to be 120 years old. That means Moses lived three generations, biblically speaking. His life is actually broken up into three parts. Um, his birth to 40 years old is when he lived in Egypt as a prince. So that's one generation. Uh, 40 to 80 is when he's out in the wilderness um, serving as a shepherd. Um, that, that's where he's at. And then 80 to 120 is when he goes back to Egypt and gets them out 
and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, and he dies as they're entering the promised land. So Moses has seen three different generations of the people of Israel. We know generations are all very different from one another. Um, we, we, we know that. I, I love to study generations and kind of see um, how different they are, how one generation um, kind of values these things and really sees life this way, and this generation, you know, 50 years later, sees it completely different because of different experiences and, and things like that. Um, the oldest generation in the United States right now is called the greatest generation. I don't know if they gave themselves that name, but um, they're called the greatest generation. Um, they're the one that they were born 1901 to 1927, so it's not 40 years in American time, but um, 1901 to 1927, that's the oldest generation right now, and we're slowly losing them because those born in 1927 would be 95 years old today. So this generation's not going to be here for too many more years. Now imagine being born in that generation and you're still alive today. Think of everything you've been through. You saw the Great Depression. You saw both world wars. You have seen approximately 20 U.S. presidents. You saw the hippie age. You saw the civil rights movement. You saw rock and roll start. You saw bell bottoms. You saw the invention of the television, the invention of the internet. Um, you saw 9-11. You saw the recession, 2008, 7, can't remember what year and you saw COVID-19, and you've seen everything else in between. You've experienced all of that. Now think about my generation, the millennials. Millennial is often used as a scoffing term for those lazy kids that are always on their phone. Um, but actually, millennials are born 1981 to 1996. Um, so that means the youngest millennial is 26 years old. The oldest millennial is 41 years old. Um, Millennials didn't go through all those things that the greatest generation did. They didn't, they, they've never had to eat government cheese during the Great Depression. Most of them have had food without limit their entire life. They grew up in a world of television and the internet always running, always being a thing. Some of us remember dial-up internet, and some of us remember like five years where the internet wasn't a thing. But, but that's been our experience. That's what our life has been like. And these different experiences make generations very different. We understand life differently. We value different things. We have fun in different ways. Every generation is different, whether it's the great generation, the silent generation, the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, which already I'm, I'm entering that thing where I'm looking at Gen Z, the generation younger than me, and, and think there's no hope for America um, because that's what we do. We look at those younger than us and think, what is wrong with these people? Um, but every generation is different. We all grow up in different environments and have different experiences that shape who we are. That's why so often generations don't understand one another. My great-grandfather, um, my great-grandparents lived in Chicago. Uh, my, my grandmother was born up there, and she ended up in western Kentucky. Uh, but my great-grandfather um, died a few years ago, probably a decade or so ago. And I remember they went up to Chicago to, to clean out the house. Uh, my great-grandmother ended up moving down to western Kentucky. And um, they were cleaning out his house, and they, they, they found um, that he had washed paper towels and folded them up and reused them. He had washed paper plates and put them away to reuse them because he grew up in the Great Depression. So he never knew, um, are, are we going to have supplies at, at any point? So he stored things back. I think they found like $50,000 of cash stashed around his house in different places, like in the bricks in the wall and underneath the 
cushion in the couch and just all kinds of places. Maybe, here's, here's just an example of, of where generations don't understand one another. Maybe you can't imagine why on earth young people today want student loans just forgiven. I don't want that. I've got student loans. I don't want them forgiven. I want to pay them off because I know that would be detrimental to the economy to just wipe them all away. But I understand what led many people my age to think that that is what, like, to want that. It's not kids being lazy and not wanting to pay their bills. Um, it's actually, so here's the narrative that was told to 20 and 30-year-olds. Um, first, a lot of times they weren't taught how to manage money um, because those, their, their parents didn't, just didn't talk about finances. They just made the finances go away. So they weren't taught how to manage money and budget. And then they were told this statement, you don't want to end up flipping burgers at McDonald's, do you? You best go to college and get yourself an education because that's what will make you successful. So they went to college, and they didn't have the money to go to college, and they didn't know how to manage money, so they took out a ton of loans, and they graduated with five digits of debt and no idea how to manage money, and many times their degree doesn't get them a job in the field that they studied in, and so they feel like they're drowning in student loan debt. They have no idea what to do, and it makes the thought of those things being forgiven just extremely appealing. And this narrative even adds into why fast food restaurants right now can't get help. Because most people my age were taught very young, if you work at fast food as an adult, you're a failure. And so they would just rather not work than succumb to that kind of humiliation. So many things like this can cause generations to be different. Um, and Moses is thinking about that as he writes this. He's seen three generations of Israelites through the years. Moses would have seen the exact same thing in the differences of the people. And, and in all of that, he makes this glorious statement in verse 1. God, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That's why it's important that I don't look at the, at the kids younger than me and think, um, what's wrong with these people? God is the God of their generation as much as he's the God of my generation and the generation of my grandparents and, and all of that. He is the God of all generations. He's our dwelling place in all generations. In the misunderstandings of different generations, what we tend to do is think that the different generation is without hope. So someone my age might look at you know somebody that's 85 and think, why is, that, why is that lady so crotchety? And someone in their 80s might look at a 28-year-old and say, that kid is lazy because he's got a work-from-home job where he makes a lot of money, but he stays in his office at home working. Um, so we tend to think other generations are hopeless, but that's not the case. God is the dwelling place of every generation. Every generation has hope, not in themselves, but in God. God was there before the mountains were brought forth, it says in verse 2. He was there before the mountains were brought forth. He was there before the earth was formed. God is the God from beginning to end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He existed before the world was created in eternity past. He will exist after the earth is no more in eternity future. He is God forever. No generation is without hope because God has not stopped being God. He's still going to save sinners in each generation for all of history. Every generation is different, but God is the same God. Now, every generation is different, but every generation has one thing in common, verses 3 through 11. Every generation has one thing in common. They come to an end. 
Everybody dies. That's the great equalizer. He says in verse 3, God, you return man to dust. We were made from dust. We get returned to dust. That's what he says. We are dust to dust. When our bodies are lowered into the ground, give them enough time and they will be dust. This happens no matter the generation you're from. No matter how successful in life you were, no matter how hard of a worker you are, it happens to all people, we turn to dust. Of course, we'll rise again on the last day, but from an earthly perspective, that's our future. Verse 5, death is certain. Look, you sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream. They're like grass that is renewed in the morning, and in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and the evening it fades away and withers. Like that's the certainty of death coming to us. When a flood comes, you can, well, I know you won't understand this very much right now because we're not really getting floods at the moment, but when a flood comes, you can guarantee it's going to destroy everything in its path. That's how certain death is. You're not going to escape it. Everybody wants to. We all want to escape it. Um, I saw a Facebook post the other day that said, um, if you were willing to sacrifice your grandma by going to Applebee's during COVID, you are not pro-life. And I'm like, what? <laughs> because there were so many silly things we, we've said like that in the past couple of years, right? Or somebody said them. Um, so many things like that, um, that, that, you know, we, we, we worked to keep people safe during COVID and, and we did everything that we could. But like, there were a lot of silly things like that that people thought. I saw a video of a kid at Disney World and um, it was recent. Like, it wasn't like, you know, September 2020. It was like, you know, May 2022. And um, this little girl, five-year-old girl, saw Winnie the Pooh. And she's like, ah, Winnie the Pooh, I want to hug Winnie the Pooh. And she runs up to hug Winnie the Pooh. And the mom is videoing it, and she's like, no, 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 don't go to her, don't go to her. Or don't go to Winnie, or I don't know if Winnie's a boy or a girl, but um, don't go to Winnie, don't go to Winnie. And this Disney worker jumps in between and intercepts the girl. And the girl just walks away crying that she can't hug Winnie the Pooh. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, Winnie's got a bigger mask on than one I've worn in two years. I think Winnie the Pooh's going to be okay. Let the kid hug Winnie the Pooh. Because we, we, of course, we keep people safe. We want to do everything we can to not let people, you know, die. But... But things like that are silly in that we think we cannot, we can keep death from happening and prevent it from happening forever, and we can't. We can't. Our culture does everything that can, they can to escape death like they can stop it from happening. It's why celebrities wear an ungodly amount of makeup to hide every little wrinkle and look exactly like they did in 1995, and only about two of them are even successful at it. The rest of them look like Bozo the Clown. I cannot escape old age or death, so I have to teach myself to embrace it when it comes. I don't need to hide wrinkles when they start to come up on my face or when my hair starts to gray. I don't need to hide it. I just need to embrace it. And as my death draws near, I have to teach myself to embrace it. Obviously, of course, we, you know, we work to you know, stay alive and you know, take treatment and all that, but that, that stuff only lasts so long. Eventually... Death comes for us. God has, has provided greater life beyond death. And so we, we fight so much to escape it that 
at, at a certain point, let's just embrace it and go and live in the life that he's given us. But here's a comfort to you. Death is certain, but you will not die before it's your time. You will not die before it's your time. Psalm 139, verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every one of the days of my life is written in God's book before I was even born. What's that mean? That means the day I'm going to die is already set. Like, it's already set. Um, your, your death day is fixed, and you can't change it. You know, we say things like, man, that, that was so crazy. That took seven years off my life. No, it didn't. And, you know, we'll, we'll tell people, like, you know, if you'd quit that habit, you'd, you'd add eight years to your life. And, I mean, maybe, but... but that's not technically true because the day we're going to die is already set. Now, quit that bad habit, please, but, but, but don't think it's going to like extend your life beyond when you were going to die in the first place. Let me tell you a freeing truth. You are untouchable until the time of your death comes. Nothing can take your life from you. When your death comes, you can't stop it from happening. It's not a thing of, you know, you were going to die in a car accident today, but you stayed home um, and, and you didn't die on that day that you were supposed to die. No, if, if, if that day is the day you're going to die and you were going to die in a car accident and you, you'd be, you thought you beat the system and stayed home, like God will have you choke on a jawbreaker on your couch. It almost happened to me one time, so that's why I'm just using that example. I was a kid, I was eating a jawbreaker, laying back on the couch and got choked and Almost died, but I didn't, so thank goodness. Um, verse 6, life is quick. Death is certain. Verse 5, life is quick. In the morning it flourishes, in the evening it withers. Understand life is quick. I think you know that. The older you get, the quicker it is. Why do you think that is? Well, when you're five years old, one year of your life is 20% of the time you've been alive. When you're 40... A year is a much shorter amount of time of your life. And so maybe that explains the perception of why it feels so much quicker as you get older. Death is coming soon, and the closer you get to it, the quicker it gets here. So, so life goes by quicker and quicker and quicker. And the older you get, the more you must brace for impact, the more you must consider your life. Because verses 7 through 11 explain how it happens. This is the part where when I was reading this over a, um, over, over a dying church member, it, it was awkward to read this part, but I just went for it because I, I had already started the psalm at that point. It, simply, we die because we're sinners. That's what this is saying. We, we, are, we come to an end by God's anger, by his wrath. He set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in his presence. And so we, um, we may make it to 70 or 80, he says, but his anger and wrath will come and take us. We don't, we don't die as a punishment for any specific sin. That, that may happen if you do something really stupid and it results in your death. But we don't die for any specific sin. Sin has brought a curse over the whole world. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, death spread to all men because all have sinned. All of us die because we're all sinners. It's the punishment for our sin. That's what happens when you're a sinner. This text make it, this psalm makes it seem like God is angry and just you know wants to squash us because we're sinners. Um, the reality is God in His wrath has to punish sin. 
He has to do away with it. He has to destroy it with fury. The reality is sin lives in us, so the only way to destroy sin is to take our life. That's why Jesus came and bore our sin in his body on the tree, so that we might live after we die. So that death would not be the end for us, but it would be a purifying purging of our sin that we might live with Jesus forever. He took the force for our sin so we don't have to in the end. We die because we're sinners. So in view of the fact that every generation of people, old and young, rich and poor, in view of the fact that every generation of people dies, what should we do? Well, verses 12 through 17 answer that question for us. In light of all this, Moses prays, teach us to number our days. That is, keep in mind the truth that you will die one day. You only have a short amount of time left. Uh, I read Ecclesiastes 7.2 at a lot of funerals. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. In layman's terms, it's better to go to a funeral than a party because you, you see your future and you learn something. That's, that's what that verse is saying. Why is a funeral better than a party? Because I'd rather go to a party most of the time. Well, nobody gains wisdom at a one-year-old's birthday party. Uh, you know, maybe we would say something like, you know, I, w I wish I could, you know, embrace life as joyful as that one-year-old eats a smash cake. Like, that's the best we can do. But people gain great wisdom from the death of an 86-year-old faithful servant of Jesus when their family member stands up and tells all the stories of their life. And, and you take that to heart and you learn so much from that uh, as you go forward. If you want wisdom, keep your death ever before you. Keep in mind, I only have a certain amount of time left. And it will change how you live your life. You'll stop finding meaning in pointless things in this world. You'll stop wasting your time doing things that aren't going to matter tomorrow. You'll stop holding grudges that aren't going to matter 100 years from now. You, you'll, you'll focus on the things that are truly important and stop wasting your life. So when you number your days, what does that mean? What, what should you do to number your days? I think he gives two verses 14 and 15 is one thing and 16 and 17 is another. He gives two things of what it looks like to number your days, um, to live in light of the fact that you're going to die one day. Verses 14 and 15, pursue joy. Pursue joy. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. And so Joy in two places, first in the love of the Lord and in just your, your life overall. Be satisfied with the love, the steadfast love of the Lord. That's most fully pictured in the cross of Jesus Christ. All of the glory of God's love can be seen in the cross. So chase after knowing that deeper. Read your Bible and look for the cross. Read good books about the cross. Sing songs about the cross. Find true satisfaction in the love of Christ. But also daily life. Make us glad in as many days as you have afflicted us. Like when, when I say, you know, let's not waste our life on something, I, like that by no means means that everything that we do has to be like, you know, reading our Bible and singing. 
God has given joy and enjoyment in things like family and things like fellowship and things like, um, you know, eating a good meal and, and just wonderful things like that. So we find joy in those moments in all the days that we have left. These things will turn to joy and gladness. When your life is all about his love, you will rejoice and be glad in every part of your life. You won't be grumpy about things that don't matter, as I often am. You will know pure joy and gladness, even in your deepest sorrows. So pursue joy. Find it in both the love of God and in daily life. And secondly, work for Jesus. That's verses 16 and 17. He's, he's calling out, like, like, do your work. Let your servants see your work. Um, and, and, and do that through the work of, of, of our hands. Establish the work of our hands and show your work to us. Moses prays for the work of God to be established in our lives. God does his work on earth through people. That is often how he does it. He does it for their good and for his glory. God wants to accomplish things in this world through you, that his glory might be known among those around you and that you might be satisfied in seeing his work. So devote your life to the things that truly matter. Don't spend your life building your own kingdom. That stuff isn't going to last beyond you. Spend your life building God's kingdom. The kingdom, that kingdom will last forever. Numbering your days, verse 12, means you recognize the difference in you and God. Our days are numbered, his are not. You last 70 to 80 years, verse 10, and you know we know that some people last longer, but we last about 70 or 80 years, that's verse 10. Verse 2, God is from everlasting to everlasting. Our days are numbered, God's are not, so we work to build his kingdom. If you want to number your days, if you want true wisdom, he says in verse 12, if you want to number your days and gain a heart of wisdom, if you want that, you build his kingdom because yours is coming to an end. We are all going to die, so let, our li let us live our lives glorifying the one who lives forever and who has made us to be able to live forever. For our life is found in him alone. So I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want us to sit in this truth for a second. I want you to sit in this truth for a second. Someday, they're going to place your body in a casket. You may be young or old when it happens, but your life is going to come to an end. Think on that for a second and ask this question, how is that going to change the current course of your life and your devotion to Christ? I'm going to give you a few seconds of silence, and then I'm going to pray for us. Father, teach us to number our days. We only have a certain amount of time left, but you are from everlasting to everlasting. And Lord, we praise you that you've given us the glorious blessing of living forever. Lord, help us to number our days here on this earth that your fame and your name may be known in generations long after we're gone and forgotten. Lord, do that in us. Help us to number our days and give us a heart of wisdom and make our life about things that matter. In Jesus' name.
Amen.